Before we get into today's episode, I just want to say a massive thank you to the podcast sponsor, that is FC Sensory. FC Sensory are a football club based in Coventry, offering free football sessions to visually impaired and blind people of all ages across the city and the surrounding areas. They are currently looking for people under the age of 16 and especially over the age of 16 to take part in their sessions. If you would like to know more, please email fcsensory at protonmail.com. That's fcsensory at protonmail.com. I know growing up in Coventry myself, if I had the opportunity to play a sport such as blind football, I would have jumped to the chance. So if you know someone or you are someone yourself that would be interested in taking part in any of this, then please email them and they will let you know of all the details and necessary information. Let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of That Blind Lads Podcast and the second episode in the Gaming Accessibility Series. If you haven't already, please go and check out the first episode where I speak to blind gaming accessibility consultant, Brennan Cold, who has amounts and amounts of passion. I can't, I can't speak, can I? He has lots of passion for gaming accessibility and it really rubs off um, and very, very entertaining to listen to. But today we have another gaming accessibility consultant um, and he will be looking at it from a slightly different perspective um, as a disabled gamer, and that is Alex Kerry. Alex, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, and uh, yeah, thank you for taking time out your, I'm sure, busy schedules um, to to come on and, and talk to myself about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. This counts as my lunch break, so I'm I'm very excited to be here and not be eating. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you mate, I'm, I'm taking away your lunch break. Ah. It's fine. We're good. I would always rather talk about games than eat food. I don't think that's uh, probably healthy overall, but here we are. Just, just, just eat. Just that—that that is your eating, is it? That's like your hunger, the gaming yeah. talk. We're, we're doing games accessibility for lunch. That's yeah. the, that's the meal ticket of the day. Yeah, that's that's it. That, that's it. that needs to be in your bio. I would do gaming accessibility <laughs> for lunch. High but, tea, but instead that tea is games accessibility. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, to be chat with, how 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 are you? How's how's life going? I'm doing well. Yeah, it's a it's a little bit chilly here in the Pacific Northwest after uh, a lengthy amount of incredible hot days and a little bit of cooler weather has been has been really lovely. I find that. Uh, the drizzlier and colder it is, uh, the more cozy I feel in my soul because all of my hobbies are indoor gremlin activities. Mm. Uh, so I uh, I really appreciate sort of a, a cold overcast day because I can just curl up and play video games or read books or whatnot. So yeah, you actually it gives you a reason to stay in, and you don't have to exactly. be pressured by like. You know, don't have to be pressured by the earth to go outside when it's slightly warm or something. Yeah, exactly. So obviously, I've got you on to talk about gaming accessibility. Um, it's a it's a passion of mine. I'm blind and um play. I've only kind of you you call me relatively new to gaming and learn about accessibility of it. But to start with, 
yourself where did you where did it come about for you in terms of gaming um accessibility and where did your disability then come into all of that yeah sure so i guess i can i can tell you a story i want to see if i can get it all the pieces in the right order so um when i was young sort of being a stereotypical canadian uh, my first love was hockey all i wanted to do was play hockey with my friends uh, and now i use a power wheelchair for mobility so as far as I have been informed in life, uh, skate attachments haven't been invented for wheelchairs. <laughs> so that wasn't something I was necessarily able to do. Um, and that made me feel left out. That made me feel excluded. Mm. Um, and that was really tough for me. But what I was able to do was play NHL 2003 for the original Xbox. So I could have my friends over and play game after game after game with them. And that leveled the playing field for me. That made me feel uh, included and really empowered. And that's always really stuck with me that video games as a medium have this wonderful ability to um, empower people and level the playing field of experience. So that was sort of the seed of why i fell in love with games as a medium so much and then mm. as i grew up and went to university and tried to figure out what i wanted to do with my life i realized i have sort of these rather unique overlapping skill sets and i sort of fell backwards into doing games accessibility as part of that so yeah mm. what what was gaming like for you back then when you were playing things like NHL 2003 and that? Was there, obviously there was barriers, especially compared to now, but yeah, was there? for sure. So a part of how my disability uh, functions, so I have uh, what's called spinal muscular atrophy type 2. So it's a degenerative muscle thing. I won't get into all the specifics, but basically when I was younger, I had more, um, strength and more dexterity in my hands. There was actually less barriers when I was younger to gaming. I was fairly comfortable with a controller or with a mouse and keyboard. Every mm -hmm. so often there would be something that was challenging. I know in like my degenerate like FPS Halo days, uh, I know I had a really hard time like pushing in the right thumbstick. So I right. just never used something like a sniper rifle in the gameplay. So I was a uh, a dirty, filthy camper who runs around with a shotgun rather than <laughs> someone who would have a play style that would make use of this other type of, I don't know, like gameplay style. Mm. Um, yeah, so in terms of barriers, there was always a, a little around the edges, but um, because my disability progresses uh, as I get older, um, I'm actually experiencing more barriers now. Um, mm. So... Uh, I've noticed that my like play session lengths have gotten shorter, right? I'm not able to do the the 14 hours straight on two Red Bulls type thing. Yeah. Uh, I uh, I can sort of do maybe like 45 minutes, an hour and a half of something that's medium intensity, or if it's like a lower actions per minute type game, like think like chess or something, what's uh, more. Uh, cerebral and less how fast you can push the buttons, I can play those types of games for a lot longer. So I tend to gravitate toward 
um, tactics and strategy games that are a little less um, intensive in you know how fast you have to do all the actions and a little more cerebral where the challenge lies. So I'm pretty sure I just veered wildly off what the question was Mm. there, No, no, but... no, yeah, it makes, it makes total sense. And do you think in a way, obviously becoming less able every year is, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a benefit, but in a way, would you say that because you're experienced and you're experiencing two ends of the spectrum, so to speak. So when you were younger and to now, when it comes to consulting with whether it's a game developer or someone within the gaming world about accessibility for people like yourself, do you, do you feel your experience over the past however many years is like gave you a greater understanding of not just someone with your current mobility uh, capabilities, but less so as well? Yeah, for sure. I think it um, it helps build empathy, right? Where Hmm. you can sort of sit there and go, "Oh yeah, I like I have literally lived through wanting to play the newest hottest thing and not being able to." And having that personal lived experience makes you um, very passionate and very driven about trying to help projects not have that wall or that barrier for other people to have that experience, right? Right, like, uh, and I just picked the newest size thing, right? So Starfield came out recently, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I would hate for someone to be excited about this experience, try and start playing the game and see a, or, and experience a barrier that would detract from their, you know, enjoyment of the experience, right? Like, that's that's the whole game's accessibility pitch is like, hey, we want everyone to be included. If you think game X, Y, or Z is dope, we want everyone to be able to play it. That's that's the whole pitch. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I don't it's... remember what your question was again, but there we are. <laughs> it's all right. But yeah, so when when it comes to um, gaming for yourself, like for myself, obviously being completely blind, it it's quite I can find out quite quickly if I you know if a game is yeah relatively accessible. So like if it's got a, if it's got a menu narrator, um, or if it's got audio cues in actual gameplay, if it's got a menu narrator, it pushes me away away a lot more. And a bit if it has, but there's not so much accessibility in gameplay, I'm like, nah, I'll, I'll, I could wing it. So what yeah. what what is it for you that you look out for when it comes to like new games and accessibility? Yeah, for me, it come uh, a lot of it is about like complexity of control. Right, so if you have a game where there's like overloaded control schemes where you got to be able to push, you know, thirty thousand buttons in order to have the core experience of a game, that mm. becomes a lot harder for me. Right, so if you look at like I'm just picking a game at random, like Destiny, right, right. like that control scheme is heavy. Like they are asking you to do a lot of things on a controller. Um, to be able to experience that game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas something with a simpler control scheme is just inherently more accessible to me. That's not to say you can't have experiences with complex controls and tell engaging stories and have engrossing gameplay with con- uh, complex controls. You just need to have um, some forethought about if there's ways to simplify those or if you're able to like bind multiple inputs to one button or like Mm. 
have options for things like I don't know, like any any time there's a mashing mechanic, I just want to tear my eyes out. Um, because I don't think they're fun. <laughs> I just don't think they're fun to start with. Um, and the fact that we keep doing them to try and like increase tension and keep people engaged in sections that are often just like it's a cutscene. You're watching mm. a cutscene that's asking you to push a button a couple times, like this isn't good. I don't think it's actually good design, but I might be being pretentious there. I don't know. Um, mm. But yeah, simpler simpler control schemes. Um, things like rebindable inputs are very helpful for me. So being able to pick which buttons work best for me to access a game, right? Right. Um, yeah, things simple things like auto-saving. I know this isn't always thought of as an accessibility thing, but um, like auto-saving or having save systems that allow you to revert back because sometimes my hands just lock up or freeze or don't uh, work yeah. great. And then being able to go back a little bit and replay a section, um, you know, the way I the way I wanted to do it is, is mm. something that I also really value. Um, uh, what else? Things like training arenas or like tutorial areas where going back to them at any time, especially if I'm having to um, like try out a different control scheme. I love having like a little area that there's no consequences for failure where I can like mess around with all the different inputs and figure out what works best in an area that doesn't punish you for failing rather than having to play like the first level of a game over and over and if you die because your controls aren't quite right you just you're just wasting time right um so yeah that's some of the more a little less unconventional stuff but the sort of bread and butter for me and my lived experience at least is um rebindable inputs um toggles and holds uh like sensitivity sliders, right? Like uncapping, like the, um, was it like the DPI on your mouse or whatever? So, you know, you move your mouse a fraction of a millimeter, and your mouse goes flying, right? Things like that, I know, are, are, are all sort of helpful in my world. So, yeah. Mm. What, what, what do you play? Are you a console, Xbox, PlayStation, or PC? What's, what's your game um, Yeah, mostly PC. I find that's the most, um, accessible sort of ecosystem for me mostly because it just has so much flexibility and in input right where some games work better on a controller some work better on a mouse and keyboard like um you know i i could never see myself playing uh like something like civilization on a controller like i i'm sure they have tried very hard to make that work but that sounds awful <laughs> hmm. um so yeah i think i think having that flexibility and input on on PC is the thing that's most helpful to me. I do a little mm. bit of gaming on, you know, Switch and console and all the other things, but um, more often than not, that's only because a title is um, like exclusive to that platform rather than yeah because I'm choosing to do it there. Um, yeah. yeah. So connecting gaming and gaming accessibility when did that become more of a kind of serious thing for you and you're seeing it as something you could take you know professionally and, and work with people from the gaming world on accessibility yeah for sure so uh i went to university at um 
uh, Simon Fraser University here in the greater Vancouver area. Um, and I was doing a program in interactive arts and technology. Uh, mm -hmm. And I wasn't quite, I wasn't quite getting the education I was wanting to be able to work within games. I wasn't sure what that path looked like for me with my disability and with sort of this unique sort of overlapping skill set I have. Um, so I was sort of not super pleased with the program and I had taken a term off. And during that time, um, the Games Accessibility Conference took place, uh, which happens, I think, annually. I believe they have one in the UK and I know there's the North America one coming up, I believe next month in October. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and I was attended virtually um, which is always fantastic for people with disabilities. Traveling sucks. High fives all around. Mm. Um, and uh, I during that, I sort of went. This, this, I think, is the thing I want to try and do. This is the this is the niche I think I can fill. Um, and seeing the sort of passion and the amount of people sort of in that space that were pushing from within games, but also consultants outside of um, working you know, within the studio um, yeah. and seeing that that was an option that people were having a career in that space sort of, um, for lack of a better word, inspired me to, to try and take that route. Yeah. And what, what was it that, that like catches you specifically? Is it like, is it that the in-depth detailed designing of the games on the accessibility side or is it kind of, yeah, yeah, I think I think universal design um is a really good like I don't know what if ethos is the right word, but like I really appreciate universal design as a concept where um if you make something inherently accessible, you are also just making a stronger design. Hmm. Um the example I like to give is like Bejeweled, right? Or like a match three game where you have you're basically just matching objects right but yeah. because if you uh, have them be a certain color and different shapes so in bejeweled right you have a i can't even think what the shapes are in bejeweled they're different jewels alex that's why it's called bejeweled <laughs> um but they have um matching colors and shapes and that has the added benefit of if you're someone who's colorblind you can still play Bejeweled with no barrier because the shapes and the color, like you're not relying solely on color as a means to communicate information to the player. So mm -hmm. you're double coding that and that's inherently a better design and you've removed a potential barrier to that experience, right? Yeah. So I get really excited about stuff like that where it's just like win-win scenarios all around, right? You're not compromising the core vision. You're actually enhancing it by removing a potential barrier. So things like that, I really enjoy where sort of design and accessibility sort of get to give each other a big hug and everything works out really nicely and everyone wins. Mm -hmm. um, those, those are the moments that I get uh, really jazzed about. And, you know, that's not always possible because every game is its own wonderful, unique, massive problems to solve. Yeah. Um, but uh, those are those are the ones that you 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 know, days later or weeks later, or whatever you work back and go, yeah, 
that that was a good one. We did good there. <laughs> do you have do you? Because I I've spoke to um Brandon Corden and he said because of working on, or being on both sides of the kind of field, I suppose, in terms of mm-hmm. design and also just generally playing. Do you kind of do you, would you say you have that bit more patience when it comes to? making things accessible because you're aware of what goes into it and the or or you're not are you like one kind of this uh, kind of this just should be accessible uh yeah okay brief sidebar yeah brandon's uh awesome brandon's such a badass if you have the time or haven't listened to the previous episode interview him fantastic please go do that um thank you yeah in inside of you there are two wolves no um, there's the accessibility wolf that yearns for better game, and then there's design wolf that, oh my god, making games is so hard. Um, mm-hmm. No, uh, I I don't know. Yes, I I have done a little bit of um, game design, game development, production side of things, um, and it has given me a lot of empathy for the human beings that try to make video games. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, it's so hard. <laughs> Things <laughs> that you assume are just like, oh yeah, you just make a safe system. And they're like, oh, that's <laughs> so much work. We have to put that in the production timeline. Everyone knows how this is supposed to work. And if it doesn't work like that, you have to fix it to make it work like everyone expects. And then that's mm-hmm. cutting into all the fun time of making the mechanics. Yeah. Anyway, so I think I get pulled in two directions, right? I want. I want everyone to be able to experience the games they want to play, but also recognize the realities of making software and games and art and all this stuff is very challenging. Um, So I think it just depends on how caffeinated I am on any given day. If I feel like the angry Twitter rant about a game XYZ isn't playable versus consoling a poor dev about them not meeting their goals right like i i think it fluctuates between those two poles mm. um yeah yeah it makes sense i suppose in a way that but i think there is there is some elements where you're like come on just put your finger out ever so slightly and you know yeah for sure what... i think i think uh what's incredibly helpful is people i don't know if if this lines up with your lived experience, but I have met developers who are very well-intentioned, but you mentioned something like, oh yeah, blind people play games. And they go, what? How? And I'm just like, god damn it, we're still at this point with people, right? Mm. Um, I don't know if you've experienced that, but it's one of those things where I feel like we're, we're slowly shifting the expectations of the industry that more things more things should be there, there's like a ground the ground floor of what counts as acceptable for accessibility is rising which is really good yeah um and i think there's work to be done even potentially with like the engines themselves with having someone like core uh, back to my own lived experience of like input remapping like i want unity and unreal to have the i was going to swear haha have this stuff uh baked in Right, like I want mm. the default Unity project to have input rebinding, so that every fourteen-year-old that downloads Unity for the first time and starts mucking about with it, 
sees in the default project, oh, input rebinding is the expectation of how this works, right? You have your, or Unreal or whatever, right? You have your, your little model running around shooting around foam balls. I want the ability to rebind inputs as part of that expectation mm -hmm. for the bare minimum necessary. Um, yeah. So that would be cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. This might be a little controversial too, but I also think that not every game needs to be for every person. I think what is mm. important is that people are intentional about the decision to have to exclude people. Not every game has the budget or resources or time to make every gaming experience accessible, but you shouldn't be excluding people because you didn't know, you know, people who are blind to play games. You should be making the intentional decision that, oh, we're a two-person team in Sacramento. We don't have the ability to make this envisioned yeah. game that we have accessible. But just be intentional about that. And then in the future, maybe you have the resources or time or the exposure to the idea of, you know, that various types of people play games. Maybe that inspires you to make an experience that is accessible to a broader array of people, right? Mm, yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, that's, I don't know. It's, yeah, it just comes back to the whole thing. Making games is hard. The idea that every game needs to be accessible to every person just isn't realistic. But that mm. decision should be made with, I don't know, informed informed parties about who plays games and their mm. abilities. And it, it should happen way earlier in production. It, it comes down to resource, doesn't it? Like when you look yeah. at the the big game developers, you know, and and I think, but then also that when you see a smaller developer, independent, whatever, who makes mm -hmm. their game accessible, that kind of, you know, it, it just enhances your, I suppose, image um, and what you're known as, you know, throughout different disabled gamers if they can see that like you said for example there's two of you and you've yeah. you've done something that allows you to make the game more accessible you've done it because you genuinely want people to play your game not because you have to because if you had to you probably wouldn't have chose to if, if you only thought that <laughs> mm -hmm. if you know what i mean like mm -hmm. you've done it because you passionately want people to play games but then you look at people like ea this is like one obviously there yeah. and stuff like that and you think yeah yeah no just just Go away. <laughs> yeah, I, I think in tri AAA is tough, right? Because mm. there are a lot of individual people that care a lot, or there are people that care a lot, but the machine is so big and you're a tiny cog in it that um, yeah. change within those systems takes a long time and takes a lot of pushing and just is really, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to developers who are very frustrated because them as an individual is like, if I could snap my fingers and change this now, we would. But because mm. the machine is so big and moves so slow, everything just chugs along and gets a little bit better or shifts a little bit incrementally over time. But that doesn't make me feel better, right? Because it's like, well, the newest FIFA, it's not called FIFA anymore. The yeah. newest EAFC, God, miserable, um, comes <laughs> out and I have a problem with it. Like that doesn't, 
that doesn't make me feel good. <laughs> like yeah, you've yeah. made one of these every year and you're having the same problem, whatever that may be. Sorry to beat up on EA, but um, you know, like that that sucks. Um, so I, I don't know. I think there's I feel like the industry is shifting that direction. Mm. Um, I think probably not as fast as most people with disabilities want, because I, I don't know about the rest of y'all, but waiting for change is awful and it's your whole life and it's so slow and oh my god we can do this so much better um yeah yeah and i think part of the solution to that is get people with disabilities involved in development or in production right like Mm. going back to the idea of like nothing about us without us right of if you have people with lived experience part of the the development process i think that will inherently I don't know, make things more accessible for everyone. Um, because mm-hmm. I think having that having that lived experience, I think, is a incredibly valuable asset in raising issues and the priority of them to a larger team, right? Mm-hmm. I know, so, that's yeah, yeah, I I know what you mean, and I agree. It's it's especially that nothing nothing without us. Nothing about just without just look it out eventually, um, <laughs> and I think and you you got to kind of look at the as we call them AAA developers, especially on the uh, side of Naughty Dog, uh, Insomniac Games, and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Who are like like you said earlier about raising that ground floor of what's acceptable for accessibility. They're the ones pushing that ground floor up and giving less wiggle space to those developers who were putting off and putting off and putting off because they're saying that what we can do you if you you should be able to do you know at least a quarter of this or third of this whatever it is yeah exactly right like having those like tentpole accessible experiences that you can point to like the last of us part two where you point Mm -hmm. at it and go look they can do it right like look Mm -hmm. this is a incredibly complex experience that is fully playable to all these different types of people um yeah, it's, it's so helpful as a consultant or as an advocate that's trying to make games more broadly accessible because if you can point to a game and go do it like that is so much easier than trying to break down individual pieces, right? Where you're mm. like, okay, so we need to do this thing. And they're like, okay, well, I don't really know what that looks like. Whereas if you could just point to an example, um, that tends to be really helpful. Yeah, definitely. Especially when you got, like I said, mammoths like Last of Us and Mortal Kombat One and Spider-Man Spider and stuff like that. Eventually, and just just those big games that we you know, we all grew up with, and then they're there, everyone's playing, and you got like not to bash again, but FIFA sitting there like. So I, I always I did it in Brandon's episode. I just bashed FIFA because I absolutely love that game and I had sight mm. and the fact that they don't even add like a screen reader menu narrator just yeah. really irks yeah. me. <laughs> just, yeah, so. I I absolutely feel that. Yeah, uh, yeah. FIFA is also made in my neck of the woods too. Uh, okay. The the yeah they rebranded like three times, but I think EA Canada or Vancouver or whatever makes makes FIFA. And uh, yeah, I have, yeah, they are, yeah, the individuals are there, they're passionate, but yes, the system yeah. does not, 
The system does not fix the things you would hope for, especially when it's 2023. Yeah. <laughs> I, I literally tweeted about it the other day. So 2023, you can have a menu area. Come on. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just be that typical whingy, you know. I think you kind of just said you're Canadians are similar than that. <laughs> just, yeah, it will happen one day, maybe when I'm, you know. Yeah. 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 I I think it's it's a matter of priorities, right? And yeah. especially with a, a if we go, you know, to to FIFA or AFC or whatever. Um, it's it's a matter of priorities and like how much resources do they want to put in. And I think that priority amount depends a lot on uh, like feedback for the title and like external pressure, but also that external pressure goes on people who are working internally to uh, elevate that or try mm. to, right? Yeah. So I don't yeah. know, like, you know, it's the idea of like yell yelling at the social media manager on Twitter doesn't always help, but sometimes it does. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I I hope that, especially with a game like um, FIFA, right, where like I loved sports games, and I feel like they're great examples of like great unifiers, where like these these games that I don't know, like ev everyone plays FIFA. It's it's yeah. one of the highest selling games like ever. Um. And just the idea of having those, having those experience, like the fact that you are not able to play that is such a bummer because mm. you are excluded for something that is so not even, not universal necessarily, but so like, it's like a warm, a warm drink on cold day vibes, right? Where you could just sit down with your friends and be like, God, I hate Liverpool, right? It's yeah. great. <laughs> it's just, just like like you said, just one of those like, like I know what you mean it's not universal, but it's it's so ingrained in kind of just gaming culture, even if you're not. I know we're focusing yeah. on FIFA, but and it same goes for I don't know, you can look at different games, GTA or I don't, I don't yeah. know. Great yeah, just, yeah, just yeah, just just games that are ingrained in kind of gaming culture. And yeah. you know, they they see ones. Zeitgeist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get away from the the whinging. <laughs> it's, it's it's positive whinging. That's what it is. It's not like you know, yeah. <laughs> um, so you obviously you work with um or work on something called playability. Um, do you want to kind of expand on that and where that came from and what kind of your goals and aims are with that? Yeah, for sure. So. Uh, what are my actual titles? So I'm the founder and strength and dexterity barrier expert at Playability Consultancy. So how this came about was I was doing some independent consulting um, on games, uh, which was very rewarding, like I said previously, and I really enjoyed it. But I sort of had this experience where someone asked me a question. I think it was about colorblindness. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm not actually totally sure. I'm pretty sure it's this, but I don't actually know because I'm a person in a wheelchair and I don't know the entire breadth and width of disabledness and accessibility <laughs> in the world. 
Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure it's this. I looked it up. It turns out I was right. So that's always cool. Um, mm. But I went, hmm, this, wouldn't it be helpful if there was a team of people that represented sort of the broad general like barrier areas within games that if someone didn't know an answer to something could could have a team behind them that have lived experiences in the, the different barrier areas to draw upon so that they complemented each other um, to be able to help with games accessibility more broadly and I'm mm. like, damn that would be really cool someone should make that and then i didn't do it for a year <laughs> yeah, typical. Um, yeah so then eventually i was like okay this is the thing i should probably try and do so um yeah so i had started eventually i sort of got enough energy to be able to try and um, put together this team of people um and i when twitter was still twitter uh, went through and found people under various barrier areas. Um, let's see if I can do them all off the top of my head. So the areas that we identified were uh, strength and dexterity, low vision, blindness, hard of hearing and deaf, colorblind, cognitive, emotional, and speech. So, so that's good, good going, that is. Yeah, right? So real broadly, those are the the sort of general areas and then having a person in with lived experience in each of those spaces being able to offer feedback is sort of the um the general idea of playability as a as a group so yeah mm. and what was it like kind of having that assemble it quite literally it's like a, a team like like a yes, sports team vendors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's like it's, it's pretty. <laughs> you just just give you should have you should have gave yourself like like I don't know fan like you know like names. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, like superhero yeah. names. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Pokemon, be... I choose. <laughs> oh my god! Yes, <laughs> I love the idea of. You do Pokemon gym trainers as a... Oh, that'd be so sick. Uh, <laughs> I uh, choose blindness. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I bet uh, you could theme... So not, there's, there has to be enough Pokemon to be able to theme a gym around each barrier area. Right? Yeah, so, like, okay. me, I would just have all the fighting Pokemon with the big muscles because I, I don't have that. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's it. And just... I don't know. I don't. Yeah, that that could work. There you go. That's something to work on. There's there's, there's homework for the listeners. Is they yeah. have to start <laughs> drafting Pokemon teams for their disabilities. It'd just be a, you have to you'll be approaching each of your your team team members like Brandon and I think Amy was one of them. Just say, well, you've got this name now. It's just some mad Pokemon name here. <laughs> but so yeah. when when kind of um what are the, the uh, to that uh, the the workings of that do you is that a case of like a game developer or someone kind of picking or like literally just looking at who they've got who you've got even within your ranks that specialize in different areas or is it a case of them coming to you and then you reaching out to other people when needed yeah so each game is pretty unique in what its needs are for accessibility, right? 
Mm. Like I'm just gonna make a professional game, right? Where like you would be you would generally think, oh okay, each game is gonna need similar things. But like let's say a game is entirely black and white, right? Then you probably don't need a colorblind barrier expert to give feedback because it's yeah. black and white, right? I'm over generalizing, but things like that. So right. So each game tends to have pretty specific um needs for what would be helpful. Um, you know, there's like some, some amount of having a chat with a developer about, um, where they are in production and, uh, sort of what genre they're in and what their needs might be and what they're thinking they might want feedback on. Um, and those are all pretty distinct. Like those are, what am I trying to say? Um, those tend to be pretty unique and specific to each project, right? You can't cast a broad net, but. Um, generally speaking, there's uh, tends to be strength and dexterity because you have to input something into the game. Mm. Uh, some type of vision feedback, either um, low vision um, with some amount of vision, so things like scalable UI as a um, solution, right? Or total mm. blindness if they have the resources to address that. So and then also um, hard of hearing and deafness, right? Like those are sort of the three that come up over and over often. Yeah. Um, and then the other ones are sometimes a little bit more niche. Um, I would really like to see cognitive accessibility be one of those default things that everyone has to think about. Um, and I know like, I'm pretty sure, I, I might be making this up, but I'm pretty sure Ubisoft now does like epilepsy testing on all of the release titles specifically mm. because um I think they had yeah some some issues with that in the past. So I would mm. really like to see cognitive accessibility um be one of those default things that is just thought about every time, but I don't think we're quite there yet. So it's um strength index, uh vision and hearing are sort of the the ones that come up more often. Um, mm. But depending on each project, you know, different amounts of feedback from the different barrier areas is, is needed. Yeah. Mm. So to focus on your barriers specifically, where, at what point, you, what, what you can give a specific game, uh, specific console or adaptive device, what do you think kind of cracked that glass, you know, temporary glass ceiling, so to speak, that, kind of change the landscape for your particular barriers when it comes to gaming if oh, there is one interesting yeah um Be... i don't know if i have a great answer to that. right like the one i it's really weird the one i point to is also the last of us part two just because okay. it did such a great job broadly the mm. the thing I used in that game, which was super helpful, where I was like, oh, every third person shooter or first person shooter needs to have this, is like slow motion aiming, right? Where you look down the sights and everything goes slow mo. And right, I was like, yeah. I want I want every shooter to have this for me, right? Like it mm. it opened up the timing windows for everything where, um, it was less intense on my hand. It was frankly also just more fun. <laughs> Um, yeah. rather than like these frantic what well, i was i really enjoyed it so um yeah i point i, I, I generally just point to the last of us part two for things like that um 
Yeah, I don't know the 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 game in terms of like like strength and dexterity barriers, but I'm like, ah oh, yes, this checked all the boxes. I'm super happy. Um yeah, I don't I don't have a great answer for that. I'm sure if I thought about I did, it more I, I could I did just say, but... just I did just throw you on the spot with that one, so <laughs> I honestly I should probably have a better answer to that just generally. <laughs> um I don't know, right? Like I don't know. I I recognize this is a little bit of a cop out, but like again, I think I mentioned this previously. It's just the idea of I tend to play games that are less physically intensive. Yeah. And like a little more cerebral on the challenge just because they are inherently more accessible. So mm. like I've been playing a lot of chess, man. <laughs> right? Like yeah. it's it's kind of lame because it's not what you would think of as like, you know, a video game in the pew pew explosion sense. <laughs> um, but it's been it's been really enjoyable for me. Um, just because there's such a high degree of challenge of having such a low barrier for um physical input right mm. which is ironic because uh now i have started going to local like in-person chess tournaments and i can't move the pieces so oh. now we have a whole in-person set of barrier problems which is mm. very funny to me where i started doing this because i was looking for a low barrier game and then i fell backwards into doing it in person where there's barriers again so yay yeah that that um, don't that don't happen often like something that's online you know digitally is accessible mm. but the actual thing is is not that that must be a rare yeah isn't that weird that's yeah. it's weird i i don't know i don't know if i know of a lot of other games i guess there's board like digital board games like playing uh i don't know like Catan. Or like mm. tabletop simulator, right? Like that is more accessible to me online than it is in person, even if it's sometimes a little jankier to like, yeah, set up and whatever. Um, but yeah, that's that's it. I, I never quite drew the connection there, but that's interesting. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, if it mostly is just board games, and so I play, um, uh, things like connects for or mm-hmm. battle chips on my phone. Which probably with some brain power could generally be accessible for a blind person in real life, but the actual game on my phone requires less brain power, so mm-hmm. I'm naturally going to gravitate towards that. Um, but yeah, that's, that is interesting. So connected to that, then in terms of what is like positive and so and so, what what would you say are the posit- the positives and negatives of kind of the gaming accessibility world for kind of anything really like whether that's on the design end or on the playing end pc console you know or even just like you could even say that the people the people are just changing like what would you say yeah i think there's a a broad shift toward um accessibility being more baked into production from right from AAA right down to indie right like the thing i point to as like i don't know like clearly clearly there is a shift happening um is uh with the game awards right like the fact that there's an innovation and accessibility award Mm. right like it's it's happening the thing is moving that direction yeah. Um, now you get a shiny piece of metal for doing a good job. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so I, I, I think broadly it's shifting that direction. Um, I think there are more and more um, like dedicated internal accessibility roles at some of the larger studios now, um, mm -hmm. which is really great. Um, I think they uh, don't, don't have enough people to fill them all. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's something that um, if you're if you're working at wanting to get into game accessibility, um, there's lots of different paths into that. Um, but I know that the demand for people who are knowledgeable in that space is increasing for sure. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like the, the path into that is, is varied, right? You can have lived experience. Um, you can come from like a user researcher or like a user experience angle right where like you go to like a traditional university route for like human computer interaction or something like that um and that mm -hmm. can be your gateway into that space as well um so it doesn't always have to be from a lived experience space i think that component is incredibly helpful um and i would encourage people to always consult again i think about this without us just on t-shirts mm -hmm. everyone sell the merch uh <laughs> but uh yeah yeah i can't remember what the actual question was there but tangent away yeah so i suppose to connect to that then so that is what is nice to see at the moment what would be nice to see going forward yeah you can be as dreamy um i don't know if that's a word but yeah, you get, you get okay. the gist. Uh, you could have any so, any futuristic machine or, or I don't know anything. A hundred percent. Okay, so things I would love: uh, being able to control the game with my power wheelchair. So like having a way to hook in to be able to use my joystick that I used to drive my power wheelchair to be able to control as a joystick in a game. Because a lot of times people have very specialized ones that work well for them, mm. and being able to use that as an analog stick would be so sick. That would so be that's cool, yeah. one. Uh, I don't know uh, if if you or your audience have seen uh, Project Game Face, uh, where okay. they're using uh, facial inputs. I, I appreciate Google uh, has made a uh, product where you can use facial gestures as mouse inputs, and <laughs> that's sick. Yeah, that uh, is because, interesting. Yeah, as as someone who. You know, my, my dexterity and my strength is getting worse every year. It gets a little bit worse. Knowing that uh, as long as I can still keep chattering along and be in the, the mouthy little bugger that I am, I still have a way to potentially play games is incredibly meaningful mm. for me. Right? Like, that's, that is yeah. so awesome to see that the technology has come far that's enough far. that, you know, just wiggling my nose is able to left click is, is pretty sick. On that, what 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 facial features would you give to like, I don't know, a a, a first person shooter? How like to shoot or to duck or? Yeah, you know? so I I think it's FPSs are hard, right? FPSs are a lot of inputs. Here's mm. here's my thought: is I think, at least for within my own lived experience, something like Game Face could be used in conjunction with another input method. Right. right. So it's like you're not trying to do every action with your face because then, I don't know, then you're looking like Jim Carrey in the mask trying to <laughs> fucking, it's not going to work. 
Um, <laughs> so I think it's like, okay, maybe it's, I don't know, like moving your mouth to one side reloads or shoots mm. or whatever, right? But then you're still using an analog stick. So you're like doing a hybrid control scheme. I think would, at least for me personally, I think that would be the the way to do it is using it as part of the solution rather than leaning entirely on it if a game is as complex as an FPS, right? Mm. But yeah, so say like say like you've mentioned the game that you like no chess. That just mm-hmm. just the eye, the eyebrows just move up like <laughs> down like yeah. side. I'm, I'm I'm quite literally doing the eyebrow movements. <laughs> I'm saying that. Yeah, right. Um, I think that's it. I think chess you could probably set up a system to do the algebraic notation, right? So you mm. would just say e4, and your palm would go to e4, right? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's probably a way to do it with that, just because it's even though there's lots of potential moves because it's built into a like a grid system you could probably simplify it but mm. um yeah i think i yeah i think uh yeah fps is stuff gta right you're playing gta where every time you waggle your eyebrows you throw a grenade like that's that's sick <laughs> i don't know that'd be a lot of a lot of grenades thrown on my behalf i think if that was the because I'd, yeah. I'd do that without actually meaning to do it. and Yes, false false inputs are definitely a thing, right? Where you're mm. like, I don't I don't want to be trying to, I don't know, go buy burgers and waggle my eyebrows because I'm excited about burgers <laughs> and blow up the parking lot, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, definitely definitely a thing, but I think that the tech is getting better at um, mm. identifying what is and isn't intentional. But the, <laughs> one of the things is, I'm one of those people that yells at the video game when I do a bad job because it's being a bastard. Um, <laughs> so I I think that's potentially a problem where if I'm using facial gestures as part of the game and I do a bad job and then start yelling at the computer, um, I yeah. can see that quickly, quickly, yeah, quickly spiraling into more <laughs> madness. So that's fun. Just, just using every single bullet of ammo in every single gun you've got. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. <laughs> or just, just throwing the chess pieces on the floor. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that that is cool. I, I, yeah. Was so. Is there anything, anything else you'd like to add to that list of hopefuls, dreaming? Um... I don't know, like full mech suit, right? If we're doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, actual mech warrior mech that you pilot. Let's just do that. Mm. Yeah. I feel like the two things you mentioned, the the the, the game in the game phase, project game phase, mixed with uh being able to plug into your power chair, that would be a pretty mad combination. Like Yeah, I think that would make a lot of experiences like dramatically more accessible for mm. always people similar to to my lived experience. Yeah, mm. but it, that, that obviously has to be a way of kind of when you do connect, I don't know, your PC say up to your power chair, you need to be able to turn off like the actual power chair controls. So, you know, when yeah, when you go I'm forward not... in a car, yeah. your your yeah. power chair doesn't just crash into the, <laughs> yeah. into the just TV. drive into the TV. Yeah, <laughs> no, there's definitely things to to figure out with how that would work. I know yeah. 
uh, what are they like XLR inputs? I think for at least mm. for the type of chair I have, I think so. Okay. Like I'm sure I'm sure some uh really uh, I was gonna say dorky, but I was actually thinking incredibly cool. Um, <laughs> techies have have figured out ways to like hack into power chairs through that. Mm. Um, I'm not sure the manufacturers would love that. Uh. <laughs> But they don't need to know. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> well, there could just be. It could be a really cool manufacturer of power chairs who so, who also is a you know avid gamer. I think so I'm just going to create yeah. a power chair specifically for that. Right. Yeah. No, I think I think that'd be sick. If a if a power chair company came out and said, "Hey, we have this pretty average power chair, but we have the ability to turn it into a video game controller," sign me up. I am first in line for that. You'll be the, the guinea pig. Happily be the guinea pig. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that is that is. I, I, the thing is, with those kind of stuff, we speak about it and we laugh about it, thinking, yeah, that's crazy. But I don't think in actual reality we're that far away from it being a you know something that actually is possible. You know, when you know when you look at what is already possible with mm-hmm. stuff like VR, um game face you know facial recognition and and movements you know, we're not that far away it's just it's just a case of kind of connecting the pieces together and you know making it possible yeah for sure like i know the xbox adaptive controller right was a huge step forward for um having it be like a a part of the xbox controller family right like having it just be another input device that's supported just like all the other ones mm. um and the amount of complete like the step of trying to make that type of system on your own i know a few types of like really dedicated gamers that made their own systems for that type of input but just having something you can go and buy and pull off the shelf and have a starting point for that where you're able to plug in your own buttons and switches and just have it work out of the box mm. is like that was so that's so awesome and I yeah, I just I can't uh applaud them enough for for making such a fundamentally helpful piece of equipment. Mm. just be just be part of the default slate is is so so yeah i think and that's one of the things that we as disabled people in all fields not just gaming but specifically gaming to have accessibility in that default setting is Mm. you know whether it's a whether it's a, a piece of equipment or it's you know when you turn on a game accessibility is one of the first things you see just stuff like that you know it it makes a big difference and you're just generally making more people aware of, you know, yeah, disabled people can play games. Yeah, for sure. It also gives you that feeling that someone cared and someone thought about it. And you know what I mean? Like mm. when you boot up a game and it's like, hey, do you want to do you want to start by uh, um, like crafting your accessibility settings on startup? You're just yeah. like, yes, someone thought about me. Right? Like yeah. I I appreciate this so much that you're yeah. not having to like bash through 30 menus right on start. It's uh, it's yeah. It's it's yeah. incredibly um yeah, incredibly rewarding and incredibly 
I don't know, you get the warm fuzzies when you see that people have put in the time and effort to um, make an experience with you in mind. That that matters a lot. 100%, yeah. And, uh, yeah. When you open a game, it's like, do you want my unary? I was like, yes, please. And you're just like, oh my God, you just <laughs> saved me 45 minutes. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Especially when you're by yourself and you're like, no one's here, so I'm going to have to wait till someone gets here so I can just turn my unary on. I hate that that experience you just talked about where you're like, yeah, I have this barrier and I can't solve it myself. I have to wait for someone else. It's awful. The worst, yeah. the worst thing, right? <laughs> for me, it's dropping stuff on the floor or like having a controller a little too far away for me to reach where I'm like, I guess I just don't play games that need this now. <laughs> like, oh, the worst. It's the it worst. Is, yeah. It is one of the worst and it's one of the most just... It's, it's it's the fact that it's there but you can't quite get yeah. it like in in literal yeah. sense and in in digital sense but yeah yeah i mean we could probably talk about gaming accessibility and the you know the positive negative positives and negatives do's and don'ts everything that come kind of comes with it um for hours because it's, it's it's just a, a vast world and Anytime I talk about it with anyone, whether it be yourself or someone else, we always just touch kind of on the surface, just scratch the surface even. And yeah, it's kind of hard to really go into the, the, the depths that it, that it does. And it's not just a menu narrator or it's not just a, you know, mm-hmm. button remapping or something like that. Like it's it's yeah, just so it much more meat on the bone. ocean. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I feel like there there has to be some mathematical way to represent like a whinging amount where the more disabled people you put in a space, the more mm. whinging that happens about various barriers, <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm sure exactly. it's like three to one, four to wait, I just it's exponentially uh, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it is it that definitely needs to be a thing. Um so yeah, thank you, Alex, for for taking time out your your day to speak to myself if people want to find you whether that be well anything to do with you where can they go yeah for sure we didn't get too much into it but uh if you are a human that plays video games uh you can check out uh sacre bleu that's s-a-c-r-e-b-l-e-u uh, and wish this is on steam it's a little indie game that i am uh, helping make uh, and if okay. you are a human that uh, makes video games uh, and you were looking for some accessibility feedback or consulting, you can check out play-ability.net. Awesome. Yeah, sorry about did, did not touch on the... I did I did read that about you being a um, helping design an indie game. It's, it completely slipped my head, my brain even. Uh, that, is, that is totally cool. We had so much accessibility goodness to talk about. It's just like I said, it's just, just too much. I have to get I have to get you on again, um, because that, that's another thing with the game is as well. It, it moves on so, so quickly, fast. yeah, so fast, yeah, so like hundred percent. In five minutes' time, we could do this again and speak about you know topics that we didn't even touch on in this. Um, a hundred percent. I look forward to it. So yeah, thank you, Alex, for coming on. Um, please, people, go and check out uh, Alex. Uh, playability and the indie game that he's helping design are you on do you use socials that much or you i'm a weird hermit uh yeah uh 
Twitter now called X. I hate that immensely. Sure, yeah, uh, but not <laughs> not not a huge social media no. human. But you can check those out. They exist. Yeah, <laughs> they exist somewhere. Find them. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you once again for coming. I hope people listening have enjoyed just as much as I have done talking to Alex. If you want to find myself, you can at that blind lad on Twitter slash X. Um, like I'm like Alex. To be fair, I I have Facebook and I have Instagram, but <laughs> do, do I use them? <laughs> Not as much as uh, yeah, no, basically. Um, and also, if you want to find the personal podcast account on Twitter slash X, it's at TBL Media UK. Like I said at the start, please go and check out the first episode with Brandon Cole who also talks about gaming accessibility, but from a different perspective to Alex. Subscribe, follow, whatever it is you want to do on any of the platforms that you listen to the podcast on. You could also, even if you want to go and check out the first series where I talk about accessibility within mainstream football or soccer, as I don't know, <laughs> some people who follow you might might call it Alex, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, there's all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you in the next episode and see you very soon. Thank <laughs> you.